smoking that Whoopi Goldberg South Egyptian Fur Burger Deluxe Mega Million Scratcher Skunk Bubba Kush. We smoking Dung Beetle. I'm on 12 Vicodin smoking on Scooby-Doo Dick. 48 minutes of dog barking. 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 Growl. Forty-eight minutes of dog barking. Forty-eight minutes of dog barking. Remember Bud Dry? Bud Dry was such a catastrophic failure for the marketing department. Cause like, why are you gonna drink a beer that's dry? What is that? Yeah, like people were just confused by it. They didn't know what to do with like it. A, it was like a crisp, yeah. almost weedier yeah. Budweiser. Yeah, it was good. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Bud Ice was was very much in that same vein. That was like the beer you would get when you couldn't find Stag, but you wanted to let people know you were broke. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like I can't find Stag or Hands, but they got, right. they got Bud Ice. They got Bud Ice, so I'm good. Yeah, yeah geez. I think, I think the last time I've seen Bud Ice was at a house party. Off Lucas and Hunt in two in, in seventy, <laughs> yeah. So like it was, it was hard living, watching a bunch of people slam butt ice and play Wii bowling. Yes, and listening to like social distortion it was a fucking weird scene, man. <laughs> Everyone's like, ah, "Do fucking corpse grinders got the butt ice?" <laughs> man, don't let Brom proof near that stuff, man. He barfed too bad last time. <laughs> He's gonna hurl. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, don't beef over there. Yeah. That's where my dog sleeps, man. If you guys, if you're in puking my dog's bed, I'm gonna be really upset with you, and uh, I don't know if I want to be friends with you then. <laughs> my impression of a guy from back in the day when gotcha. I was doing the DIY punk scene shit. He talked like this, and he uh, played slap bass in a punk band. <laughs> and, we all uh, know at least one of those guys. Yeah, I really tried. There, there's some really funny moments about this guy, but really can't remember any of them. In my life, I've met. A handful of people that were like friends with this guy or went to high school with him, and they all have the same impression. Just hey, man, how's it going? <laughs> you know, he'd like this dude would like show up to a show where people are like rolling around in broken glass and yeah. drinking piss out of a big gulp cup, and like, wow, man, this is pretty fucking wild, huh? Jeez, man, these kids are really going off. And that's like the stereotypical hippie voice, which is what makes it so funny to me. It's just like, yeah, man, you don't eat the brown acid or whatever. You know? Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, hey, someone's girlfriend's crying in the alley. Uh, is anyone anyone not can anyone not find their girlfriend? She's crying in the alley. Oh man, it's real bad, man. She's really she's really upset. Is someone who's an asshole in here, man? Who's making their girlfriend cry, man? That's not cool. Tommy Chong, relationship counselor. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, you gotta like respect who she is, like as a person. You gotta mute her halfway, man. Yeah, man. You know, a relationship is about compromise as much as it is about love and understanding. Or whatever. Yeah. Whatever, man. Anyways, uh, you gonna don't cash the fucking bull. If only every relationship counselor was that cool. Hi, it's forty eight minutes of dogs barking. My name is Jason. This is Brian. We're piping hot, full of uh, full of weird energy today. We got the coors flowing like water in the in the chalet here. <laughs> From we're, the Rockies. We're just we're just full of piss and vinegar, full of beans. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just, know, uh, um, I just got fired from the volunteer radio station. <laughs> 
for clogging up the toilet? Oh, boy. If that was the case, I would have been uh, let go a long time ago. <laughs> you were dropping bombs. <laughs> well, so it, we're talking about, of course, uh, 88.1 FM, a, a station here in St. Louis known by the call sign KDHX. Uh, sorry, old habits started to kick in, and I started to do the tagline that you're supposed to do every time you back announce. <laughs> I did it for seven years. It's 88.1 KDHX, independent music plays here. They've been in a bit of hot water because they're letting go some of their older DJs. Two people who have been there for over 25 years. Of Long PDX. time, yeah. And then this is you know a station that's been around for 35, 40 years. So they've been there for a while, a good chunk of time. For whatever reason, the executive director and the board have decided that DJs can't be over 40 anymore. Did you see this? <laughs> this was new to me. And so, I, because, you know, for the past couple of years, I quit being a volunteer there for a while. The schedule didn't work out, whatever. And I thought to myself, well, you know, a couple of years go by. I'll I'll come back. I'll do a pass. I'll do the whole thing. I'll go through the volunteer. I'll, right. I'll start you know, over. The, the, double, the double Helix Corporation training. and I'll do it all. And I'll just I'll walk right back in, and now I'm like, well, I guess I can't. <laughs> I guess I'm too old now. Too old. It's just a weird fucking scene. Getting rid of someone like Andy Coco, who has been definitely part of the backbone since I've ever listened. Oh yeah, ever since I've been listening to KHX, is is a bummer. He's probably the nicest guy, short of our next week guest that that ever worked there. Yeah. Oh, he was always really sweet. There was a lot. I mean, most of the people that were like employees yeah of the radio station you know when i was volunteering we're real sweethearts uh chris bay was always really nice mm-hmm. um a couple other people this new general manager lady is just really i don't know if you saw this but she had this proposition to change the flag <laughs> or the change <laughs> no. the logo for khx you oh yes yeah. yeah i saw this yeah you see this yeah it's you uh, see this? <laughs> brian then it's shows weird. me so um swastika I mean, <laughs> yeah so I guess it's a bunch of K's. Yeah. I guess a, it's the KDHX put yeah. into one symbol. Yeah. They kind of smushed it all together. Kinda. And then t- and tilted uh, 45 <laughs> degrees. Uh, and like and it's in a white circle on uh, yeah. uh, a red background. Which uh, is kind of the inverse really, of what it's know, usually yeah, been. Yeah. K- KDHX has always, has always been very much about the color red. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, red circle, white text. It's always been. Yes. That, that um, there's no word yet on the expedition to the North Pole to find Nordic runes. <laughs> <laughs> and the Spear of Destiny. She's searching through a bunch of old 45s and she finds... <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> a lot of this might be actionable, so we're going to have to watch just, our uh, mind our manners. just it out? I mean, yeah. they, you're just going to have to guess why I said for th- 15 seconds there's, straight. There's going to be definitely some static breaks, not only this week, but next week. Like I mentioned, uh, one of the former KDHX people is uh, going to come on and talk very about excited, very excited something about. else, actually. It's going to talk about something else that we're going to talk about in, in a minute here when we get to our normal programming, as it were. This kicked off this week, another round of internet discourse. Brian, of course, I showed you this. This was the guy who on Twitter goes by old books guy. Good versus bad art. The master list of 15 differences. Speaking of Nazism, this really yeah. does sound like the uh, the whole argument about degenerate art that was proposed back in the day. Let me give you some examples. It's a 15-point list, but I'm not going to read them all. But the, the highlights are this. Number one, emotional effect. Good art improves mood. Bad art makes you feel weird. Number five, faster versus slower. Good art produces momentum. Bad art produces stagnation. Number six, drug metaphor. Bulletproof coffee. Good art. Weed, bad art. 
Good GPS, bad GPS. Good art gives you a good map, and bad art gives you a malevolent bad map. I don't understand that one. Let's see here. Input. Good art. Sweat, tears, struggle. Bad art. Obfuscation. Lies. Resentment. Let's see here. 11. Hall of Fame. Join or burn. Good art wishes to be canonical. Bad art wishes to destroy the canon. Conclusion. Here, this is, this is the part. Good art is man's divine right and terrible duty. Oh, that sounds like Nietzsche. And bad art is whining, coping, seething, and a waste of time. Yeah. And so I did a little Fucking digging. Sp- smooth brain motherfucker. And this guy went on to also, like, say something. I forget what he proposed was, like, good art, but the bad art was, like, do comps. He has a fucking hard-on for Duchamp. I don't know what the deal is with the urinal thing. Like, everyone... But, but like, you know, I think I saw someone quote-tweeting it. It was like, you know, shout to the comp for... Uh, Fucking making smooth brain motherfuckers go mad for over a hundred years. He's like, still doing it <laughs> from the grave. <laughs> he's been dead a while, but he's still just pissing everybody off. I mean, I'm sure he at some point he would have brought up piss Christ, which hasn't been relevant for yeah. a long, long time, and, and things like that. But of course, a couple posts later, here it is. Oh, I see communists with pronouns and mental illness in bio furiously replying to my post, earning me Elon bucks with every passing minute. Attached is of course. The, the Groiper Donald Trump Pepe thing, yeah. yeah. So, and then uh, almost immediately after, ancient Rome was the most powerful empire. You know, as soon as I heard two of those two things together, I'm like, ah, fascist. I'm done with this. Oh yeah, <laughs> block yeah. and report and move on. Uh, just a just a miserable human being, and I feel like it's one of my pet subjects here is harping on about media literacy. Nah. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and yet, <laughs> was it you or someone else that was like, honey, the fucking. Right-wingers don't know the difference between objective and subjective again. <laughs> I don't know if it was me, but it definitely feels like something I would say. Yeah, objective versus subjective. One of my favorite uh, people to write a newsletter, Luke O'Neill, he, he writes, uh, Welcome to Hell World. He posted, I can't tell if a fascist made this or the final boss of <laughs> YA Goodreads. <laughs> this is a powerful, smooth brain movement. Oh, absolutely. Like a water slide, the thoughts just roll off. <laughs> Nothing there. It's just vibes, and the vibes are uh, six million. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> One of those guys that like puts on a suit mm-hmm. and does like a Twitter video of him being like, so why Auschwitz, if they were just going to kill everyone, did they build them like a movie theater and a swimming pool? <laughs> and you're like, mm, mm. mm. Well, who who you who you think got to use yeah use that mm. wasn't the people that were being starved. It was the guys in the guard towers was, like yeah. your grandpa, you know, whoever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my grandfather died in World War II. <laughs> yeah, that's the fifth fellow, the yeah, guard yeah, tower. Yeah. Yeah. We said goodbye this week to a favorite Twitter slash Facebook uh, uh, account, as it were. Entity. This, an entity, thank you. Because uh, this was a collection of goofballs and com- comedy writers and all sorts of fun people that called themselves Broken Pizza Hut. Now, if you're not familiar with Broken Pizza Hut, oh, are you in for a treat? This was a, a group of people who got together and decided to just riff on how bad 80s and 90s Pizza Huts were and how weird it is that some of them are still open and that nothing has changed on the inside. Particularly the, the sit-down Pizza Hut. <laughs> yes, specifically the sit-down Pizza Hut. You're correct, because, yeah, it is It is definitely specific to that. Uh, this post here from them, Broken Pizza Hut began as I was bored in 2013 in the lobby of a Memphis high school selling DVDs of dance competitions. <laughs> 
I still don't know if that's real. I don't know if it's real. It was born of my love of old school Pizza Huts and the feeling of walking into a fast food restaurant and realizing it was a complete fucking fiasco inside. I was very protective of its anonymous mystique until several of my friends began submitting jokes that had me in tears and allowed them to be an outlet for the gross, scatological, inappropriate, dark, and weird, the hilarious ideas they could not always express publicly, they could express at BPH. One major contributor isn't online at all, and editing the jokes and sending them the ones taking off really brightened our days. Yes, they did create entire storylines about a there character. There was a canon. There was a canon. Mythology. Smoke Dog, the, the line cook. <laughs> Professional skydiver Eddie Guns, who was always, <laughs> of course, fucking your mom. Yeah. <laughs> you, the reader. They had 10,000 followers. Facebook nuked the account because, of course, it is parody. It did earn its share of ripoffs. In fact, it started before Nihilist Arby's. Which I never found to be particularly... No, it was objectively funnier. Now, of course, Nihilist Arby's was run by the guy from the Lawrence Arms, so it had a bit of a, a following just built in, because he obviously would retweet it and it yeah, would get attention from all his someone fans. someone who's seen the Lawrence Arms live a few times, I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> well, the gentleman behind that account, of course, could not reveal his name initially, because he started working in advertising for the actual Pizza Hut. <laughs> We're talking about the individual that, that did Broke Down Pizza Hut, not Nihilistic Arby's. Correct. Broken yes. Pizza Hut. The guy who ran Broken Pizza Hut. Uh, <laughs> couldn't couldn't, couldn't, couldn't show, him, show his, his hand. No. Uh, uh, because he started working for actual Pizza Hut, like the Book It campaign. He got, that was one of his clients. They did have a plan for a coffee table book. There was going to be a broken pizza hut, pizza huts on fire, and then little bits mm -hmm. of text from the lore and whatnot. They're saying, here you go, uh, with Twitter collapsing and Facebook collapsing, soon to be converted into dentist office liquor stores and burned out husks like sit-down pizza huts, we have archived the post for a hopeful coffee table book of best of someday. A big thank you to Jason Stryker, Chris, Missy, Sean, Julia, Gretchen, Darren, and many more. For being fans from the outset now. Of course, Stryker, we know that guy. That's yeah, Stryker Spurlock from St. Louis. Yes, an incredibly funny young man and talented filmmaker. Says there's nothing more romantic, quaint, weird, and nostalgically normal about sitting in a fast food restaurant quietly and observing what goes on around you off a phone while a cruddy jukebox and arcade machine sit unused in a corner. I do it every chance I get before they're all extinct, but for now... Thank you for your laughs. And this Pizza Hut is closed by the order of the Facebook Health and Human Regulations Fund. Anyway, no fucking refunds, <laughs> which is a running gag on the Broken Pizza Hut uh, uh, site there. So that there uh, is uh, the creation of uh, local St. Louis weirdo Chris Ward. He will be appearing next week on the show to talk about not only that, but also his tenure at KDHX. A little bit of a tease for next week, but we're going to have him in. I'm, I'm excited. Live in the chalet, so it's not even going to be one of those uh, Zoomy things. We're going to be like sitting here with him. It's yeah. going to be a hoot. We're going to really soak in each other's smells. <laughs> uh, you know, another one of those, I don't know if I'll ever get to mention this bit of, of Brian Lore here on the on the old the old podcast. The first place I ever prank called was a was the Pizza Hut down the street. I'm like five or six years old. I just took the magnet off the fridge, went to yeah, my grandparents' room, and I'm number. like, they're watching like Full House or some bullshit. <laughs> and it's like using the phone in my grandma's, my grandparents' bedroom, and just being like, I heard you guys got roaches, and you put them on the pizza, and this, someone just being like, what? And I'm like, what's up with the roach pizza? It's bad. No one likes it. And. The what's up with the roach pizza? <laughs> what's up with the roach pizza? I saw one on the counter. 
And they went into the pizza box, you know, and, and you said that was okay. You know, just 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 being a shithead like that. I mean, it, it started from the beginning, folks. It did. Yeah, yeah. There's, I'm, I'm sure there's something traumatic that sparred it on, but it's not like one of those things like I got hit by lightning or, or <laughs> someone stole my dog or, or whatever. Like, it just, it just, no. I just came out like this. Right. It was born this way. Like the Lady Gaga song. Exactly. A, a TikToker by the name of The Tall Knight. The Tall Knight is this guy who uh, was a TikTok guy. He always wore this, like, Crusade-era night mask. Like Templar bullshit. Yeah. yeah it, it just, it was just a, a, such a weird account, and people were, like, thirsting for him or whatever. But then he started an OnlyFans account, <laughs> which, of course, handles explicit content. Yeah. Was he posting the whole? Uh, he must have been. The backlash to all of that about him, you know, promoting the OnlyFans, various accounts to minors, resulted in his TikTok account getting banned. They said, oh, yeah, he's a groomer and all this because he's sending these links to minors and all this stuff. And yeah, because I mean, he had 1.6 million followers. It was a guy for some reason had, had a bit of a following. He said, my account was in good standing. I've never gotten a guideline violation before. Uh, of course, he has a secondary one. You know, here's my monetization scheme. And then users started showing up and saying, like, hey, um, yeah, he, he sent this to me when I was 13. Or, you know, he made inappropriate comments to me. And here's here's he, me sending a, a, a link to uh, OnlyFans to someone. And, you know, and then the, some other comments came out where he was, you know, being really transphobic and just kind of a, a, a real shithead. And... <laughs> on my birthday, as a special gift to me, he posted this video on TikTok. Uh, sorry, on on YouTube, twenty eight minutes long. I'm not going to watch the whole fucking thing because it is basically it's titled "My Side of the Story," which of course we all know from these very long explainer videos where these people. Uh, well, I did, and then immediately after that, of course, someone posts, "Yeah, well, here are the messages that he sent me on Instagram when I was sixteen. Um, just not a not a great guy." Wow, sounds terrible. Wow. Um... Was you gotta wonder uh, the the Knights Templar did they groom? <laughs> oh, yo, yeah, come on, are you kidding me? This was the beginning of commerce. They had to have young squires and all that. Yeah, corn holding the squire. <laughs> well, Charlie Wilson was a crusader. Ah, my lady, <laughs> we be corn holding the eunuch tonight. Another specific TikTok trend that I've noticed is happening is called "You can't pee here." <laughs> um, uh, um, this sounds so, like it's something like the Fiat would have done like 15 years ago. It starts with a, a image of what is supposed to be someone pissing. I got walking up saying, "You can't pee here," and the person pissing on them. <laughs> one guy, in the first video, the one guy opens his mouth like, "Ah, yeah," but then it just continues on different versions of it. Uh, there, there's uh, some here where it's like, "You can't just pee on the sidewalk here," and they're getting soaked by the urine. If this is ostensibly pee, it's very clear. They're very hydrated, whoever this yeah, is. Yeah, they're they could be hurting themselves. And of course, a a variation was put up where it shows it's clearly a, a just a hose with water. This one, this time, it's a young woman getting sprayed with a hose. It's um, people just doing it. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, this one here, the guy. Uh, uh, I want the British guy. What? <laughs> <laughs> you can't Boy. be pissing here. <laughs> Scroll up one. The one with the big tits. Oh, the there one we go. The big tits, yeah. Come, Come on. This is a very oddly framed. It's just staring down directly. Oh. It's oh! A, uh, it's the lady version. You can't pee Congratulations. here. Congratulations. A guy steps in front of her. But you can't pee here. And then <laughs> and he gets uh, pissed on. And... <laughs> These videos go on for like a minute and a half. <laughs> and the person getting ostensibly pissed on just stands there and be like, seriously, what's wrong with you? While they're getting soaked. It's, this is... Uh, 
someone's fetish. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly it's not as good as the grimace. No, no, it is not. But it's still pretty funny, and I, I found a lot of them amusing, especially the one where they don't even try to fake it. Where it's like clearly just a garden hose. Yeah. <laughs> like okay, we get it. We get what you're doing. This week, a three-hour video dropped, Brian. Three hours. Three hours long, featuring this character from a Zelda CDI game. Link the Faces of Evil was the name of the game. Mm-hmm. He owns, a, sto- he owns a, a store, and he has all of 20 seconds of dialogue. Some enterprising individual created a text-to-speech algorithm that sits there and chops up that 20 seconds of dialogue into whatever you want it to say. That person then fed it the entire text of the Bible. <laughs> New and Old Testament. <laughs> All right, let's, let's a little bit little, of this. Here's a, here. uh, three hours of this. <laughs> this is insane. Yeah, it's truly a staggering This is like work. something you would have experienced like at a rave in like oh. the early 90s in San Francisco. Yeah. And like Timothy Leary would have been in the back like... Mm-hmm. Open your quivering eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> it just would have been. It's three hours, and it is painful every minute of the way because it is chopped and screwed vocals that are largely incomprehensible were it not for the subtitles. Wow, what the fuck? This is YouTube user competitive and casual. This video is not an endorsement of any religion or ideology. It's purely meant to see how to stretch the limits of a video game character with two lines in an obscure 1993 video game. I used a heavily modified version of Morshu Talk by No Spaces. The Bible translation is the World English Bible by Rainbow Missions. And it has <laughs> timestamps for all the different books of the Bible. <laughs> I put that on at a party and watch everybody go nuts. Yeah. Everyone going fucking buck wild. <laughs> Hell yeah, you got to the part about the That's insane. Yeah, have you ever seen the episode of the Zelda cartoon where they made Link Beavis? <laughs> have you not no. seen this? No. Is that somebody created that or is that yeah, like, okay? I'm, Zelda Zelda Beavis. I gotta look this up and see this. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah. How's it going? Yeah, nice boobs, honey. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey! <laughs> some real good uh, editing and, and some really choice good of... syncing yeah it's That's brilliant it's, it's 10 minutes long but yeah it's 10 minutes long there's barely any fat on it if you grew up loving beavis and butthead like i did same um yeah. it's it's quite a treat uh, have you caught the new beavis and butthead i haven't i don't have paramount plus mike joe still has it i don't know i don't know what, what he's been you know sitting on all this for he's just Especially alluring is is the parts where Beavis and Butthead are old. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they get gay married. Or oh, it's fucking great. Get a vasectomy. Uh, oh, it's so good. It's it's nothing like the Beavis and Butthead movie, which just came out. Tragic. There's uh, some good bits. The one where they go to college and then they yeah. find out about you know white male privilege and they just use this ex- <laughs> excuse me. I didn't, I didn't realize I had a white male privilege. <laughs> yeah, but I, it's like, I just didn't know I had. You know. It, it's it's funny, but it's like ah, I kind of feel like the joke's like ten years too late. Like they, I it, think if um, that come out, if that had come out ten years ago, that would have killed. There's some good jokes in there. Mm-hmm. The Beavis um, fantasizing about having, I guess, like the FBI lady or whatever is his girlfriend <laughs> and killing Todd. And then there's the the butthead as the uh, 
as as like Pegasus. And yeah. He's like, okay. <laughs> I'm a donkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll give you that. I mean, again, it's just it's just as a movie, it didn't really. I had fun. Don't don't get me wrong. That's about all I got. Anyway, you used to drive my family nuts. Yeah. Doing beers and butthead voices. Shut butt bunch. How's it going? I have been. I have seen the top of the mountain. That is good. Oh, yeah, yeah like, I really like the health against. <laughs> this is fuck it. Let's let's just get drunk and 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 just remember half remember be with some butthead jokes <laughs> from when we were kids. No, because we have a mission, and our mission is to hit the crypto scam of the week. You're listening to 48 minutes of dogs barking the podcast, and now it's time for the crypto scam of the week. Oh, we got. Magnate Finance. You know about Magnate Finance? I have heard of them. Once again, Layer 2 Protocol uh, kicking in. This was going to be a lending protocol. And it looks like people permanently lent the dev team their money. Hmm. <laughs> now, people did get an advance warning of this from our community hero there, Zach XPT. He did put out community alert. Magnate Finance on base will likely exit scam in the near future, currently with over 6.4 mil TVL. The deployer's address is directly linked to the Soulfire 4 point mil exit scam. So he pointed it out. Hey, you know, this, this wallet is linked to Soulfire Finance, a project that rugged for almost 5 mil in January. And sure enough, this per Web3 is going great. Within an hour of Zach XPT's tweet, the project drained 5.2 million from the protocol, deleted its website and Telegram group. The classic. At this point, it's a classic because it keeps fucking happening. <laughs> According to Zach XPT, the project also shared on-chain links to the March 2023 Kokomo rug pull. So these guys are serial ruggers, yeah. if you will. Uh, just insane. That's insane. And, and, they, and that one took four and a half mil. So they're up to 15 now. Yeah, that's upsetting to hear. Like, I get the idea. Like, the idea behind all these different lending ones, that's, I think, what gets me. It's like, okay, we're, we're setting up a way to lend crypto from one exchange to the other, basically. At least in, in theory, that's what it sounds like in my head. And then, okay, yeah, we're going to support this. And then they immediately just like... Fuck you. Um, and then it just keeps happening. January, March, now. like Just just wait until there's the next bull cycle. Yeah, and I was going to we'll say. See, okay. We'll see the next Bored Apes Yacht Club. We'll see the next Loyal Lions or whatever. Whatever it is, yeah. Whatever yeah. it is. You know, it's going to be anime titty girl car wash <laughs> car washes. Yeah, mommy milker coin or whatever mommy, it is. Yeah. I mean... There's already been that. That there's already been already been stuck step stepsis. Right, right. All kinds of weird shit. <laughs> Any weird meme or weird perverted thing has already probably had like ten coins and they've all rugged. Yeah, I noticed there when you're pulling up Web three is going great. There's a little bit from the Pepe team. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Pepe team also took their money and ran basically, apparently dumping sixteen point nine mil worth of tokens. Yeah, yeah, multi sig wallets. You know, they're really great if you're trying to protect yourself from, like, one person. Right. But when, you know, multiple individuals go in lockstep yeah, and go from there, like, yeah, shit's insane. Here's what's interesting. After the transfer to exchanges, the team changed the security parameters for the multi-sig wallet from 5 of 8 to 2 of 8. 
making it easier to do this in the future. The wallet still has 10, Jesus, 10 trillion Pepe worth 9.61 million. The massive transfers with lack of communications from the official Twitter account raised alarms, triggering a panic sell, which of course is what's bound to happen. Uh, this here courtesy of Decrypt. The last market cap reading for Pepe, 375.3 million dollars. How is that a thing? That's uh, what shit I got. coins are going to shit coin. Market cap of 375 million. I mean, market cap can be misleading. Sure. Because there are, you know, shit coin meme tokens out there that have a market cap of 500 million or a billion, and they only have like 2 million liquidity or something like that. And it just depends on supply, what supply is available, what's like locked up or what's staked or what's been, you know, what they call burned, sent to like a dead address. Yeah. Pepe had gone, I can't tell you how many times I've seen like a Pepe token mm. rug in like a week or Jesus. a couple of days or even a couple hours. That one I didn't even really watch, even though right. I, it came on my radar. I, you know, the, the crypto Twitter accounts I followed we're talking about it, you know, the shillers and all that. And I was like, oh, this one's probably going to rug by, you know, fucking lunchtime. Yeah. And it kept going and it ran to over a billion dollar market cap. Mm. And, you know, there's a couple people that made some real fucking money off of it. But you can see that it got listed on, I believe, Binance and Coinbase. Mm -hmm. And that's that was kind of the peak. And that's usually for really hot meme tokens or what like Binance wants to call like, you know, the 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 adventure or the experimental zone or whatever the fuck they call it. Usually that's like the the death signal is once it gets listed oh. on like a high tier um exchange like Binance, particularly so quickly, it's mm. I mean it's done. It's that's what kinda of happened with like SHIB. Got a lot of eyeballs on it, then it's gonna yeah. Okay. Well, it's for everyone that's been the guy in early, got lucky and fucking held that's the ultimate retail is mm, you know mm -hmm. is now you've got all the people that are buying your bags and now you're gonna fucking dump on them yeah man it's a fucking vicious world there's a lot of people that get fucked over because they this idea that you're all, you're gonna get rich line goes up when reality is that very few people are going to come out ahead in this world and they are either luckier smarter or less ethical than you it does seem to be like an arms race of like <laughs> it's definitely a race to the bottom yeah uh, uh, you know and morals and ethics and scruples and all that but holy shit holy shit bears are fucked <laughs> everyone's yeah. fucked every time i look at i mean not just for this segment of the show but just in general like I, because i do research for the show i still get stuff in my inbox from decrypt or from you know whatever it is yeah and, and uh Things are not looking good. Uh, things, <laughs> yeah. The regulation, at least in the United States, is murky. Um, yeah, Binance is having a hard. I mean, it will be really interesting if someone high up in Binance just completely sells the fuck out because I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on, particularly like with CZ, yeah, and how the company's being run. That uh, probably not great. I'm sure there's lots of uh, government bodies across the world that would love to get some information. Oh yeah, yeah. FTX, Luna, Three Arrows, mm -hmm. all all these massive institutions that had these high valuations and these playing these very interesting con games really hurt the space, which mm -hmm. is fine because it's not necessarily like a great space to begin with. But most of the stuff that those entities were doing was already happening. It was just smaller. Yeah. You know, it wasn't yeah. billions of dollars. It was sometimes I'd see shit rug for 
10k jesus back when the bsc shit coins were really fucking popular in early 2021 i saw shit rug for like 500 bucks <laughs> you know jesus. Like, like you could let it run yeah, you probably could got you probably could got a little bit more money if you but i guess you're just okay with 500 bucks like yeah. you bought like a url and yeah <laughs> well you got your money back i guess i suppose bucks. yeah i mean we got to the point where like two weeks ago NPR was running a piece on the CZ kerfuffle, and the headline kills me. The future of crypto hinges on a fight between the SEC and a former burger flipper, casting CZ as some sort of you know down on his luck uh, guy. It's just bizarre. <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean, CZ got fucking lucky himself. He like right. invested in Bitcoin super fucking early. Well, I guess it's time to talk about the thing we all came here for. That's right, Brian. That's right. The weird bowel movement I had about 45 <laughs> minutes ago. Prepare for 30 minutes of audio torture. No, uh, <laughs> we're talking about, of course, The Onion, America's finest news source. The Onion, I think, is where, where some people first realized that jokes existed. In yeah, yeah, that's true. Boy, it started as a, as a physical paper. Mm -hmm. They started it in the 90s. Was it in Chicago or Wisconsin? Uh, University of Wisconsin students Tim Keck and Christopher Johnson. It was uh, Madison, Wisconsin. That was 1988. I was incorrect. It was 1988, so it wow. has been around for quite some time, 35 years. In 1989, Keck and Johnson sold the paper to Dickers and Eyes for $16,000. After that sale, they kind of split off. The Stranger in Seattle and Weekly Alibi on Albuquerque came from that. The Stranger in Seattle still running. Oh, great, wow. great little alt-weekly. Illinois did carry it. University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Urbana. Urbana. This is where it gets interesting. So 1996, they've been publishing this, this satirical paper for about eight years now. They get approached by Dana Carvey to do televised segments on the Dana Carvey show. Now, if you've not uh, seen this beautiful documentary on the Dana Carvey show, highly recommend it. Hulu has it. It's an oral history about how the show kind of came about. Dana Carvey was leaving SNL, and so he got a show, and he filled it with the funniest people he knew which included Bob Odenkirk, you know, Stephen Colbert, before they were household names, all these people. Well, Ben they, Stiller, I ben, believe. Yes, that's uh, right. I, I think most people remember the skit of Bill Clinton breastfeeding, like, <laughs> dogs or something. Kittens, and it Kittens. was the first episode. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that was their first episode. Robert Schmeagel, who uh, went on to do a lot of stuff for yeah. SNL, a lot of stuff for TV Funhouse, a lot of other... I mean, you name it, Robert Schmeagel's been... Uh, Conan's uh, Triumph, the insult comic dog puppet. That's Robert Schmeagel. Uh, so, yeah, 96, they, they approached him and said, hey, you know, we want you to do news segments on the Dana Carvey show. And, of course, Schmeagel met Bob Odenkirk there. And so, like, a lot of these things that are, like, comedy institutions now started with... You know, this this paper that they started in the 80s as kind of a riff on the newspaper sucks. Here's here's a funny version. Here's the National Lampoons if they did just a straight newspaper. Yeah. They even did pitch a sketch comedy show. <laughs> Some of them did. It's called Comedy Castaways. Have you ever even seen no, it? No, it, I haven't. It's absolutely ridiculous. They did a pilot. They did two episodes. And then I don't think they ever got picked up. So... They did four segments with Stephen Colbert as an anchor, again, predating anything he ever did on his own show or The Daily Show or anything like that, 96. They made four segments. Only one of them made it to air because, of course, Dana Carvey show got the axe mid-season. Yeah. Uh, so, sadly, uh, none of it really exists online, but it was 96 when they started the website. 
Uh, it was theonion.com. Because people on Usenet were passing around this article that they had written in the print version that said, the headline, Clinton deploys vowels in Bosnia. <laughs> <laughs> the idea was, well, we're going to make this website so that we can, you can point to it and say, that's actually where I got this from. And so that's how the Onion website came about. Uh, of course, because of the website, they got bigger and bigger. They were able to look at who was reading it. And this is a quote from editor, then editor-in-chief Robert Siegel. If you look at the breakdown of people who read The Onion online, it's like Microsoft, Dell, the Department of Justice, and then like the University of Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it was very much a, a comedians, comedians type of thing. And then it was also like really smart people who understood that this was all fuckery and a satire yeah. and, like a, and like a riff. Almost immediately, they got sued by Janet Jackson for the following article. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. The article, and this is the, the full title of it, Dying Boy Gets Wish, colon, to pork Janet Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> they were nearly sued out of existence because of that one article, which was fucking funny and almost worth it. Oh, yeah, another Bill Clinton riff. Uh, 98 MTV created something called Virtual Bill. Were you around for this? You know this? Vaguely. Virtual Bill was 3D CGI company called Protozoa. I think they did some work for James Cameron later on, but, yeah. but this was one of their first projects. And it was a CGI version of Bill Clinton. Introduced music videos, telling jokes, you know, doing things like, a TV special and an interactive web special. The guys of The Onion wrote the jokes that the virtual Bill Clinton was telling. That, that did not last long, by the way. It lasted no, I, I vaguely remember this. This was where it really gets interesting. So the website's still going on. Three years later, they go to U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen, Colorado. It's a big deal. Well, there they meet Conan O'Brien, Dave Foley, Dave Thomas, a bunch of kids in the hall, people, Peter Beggy, mm -hmm. comics artist. And they promoted their new anthology called Our Dumb Century. <laughs> Which I still have a copy of. It is a fantastic book. I have not found a copy. I read it once at a friend's house. I have not seen a copy since. I probably have to hunt this down because it is, it's outtakes from the physical paper. It's stuff from the website. It's just a bunch of cool stuff and stuff that wasn't ever really published until then, right? Yeah. They won a Webby that year for the humor category. So this is 99. Again, this is still distant past. Mm -hmm. We're at a point where The Onion now has become such a household name, I guess. There's so many times when someone posts an article on Twitter or something, and they say, I thought this was an Onion article. You know, it's it's a yeah. shorthand for I thought this was satire, I thought this was a parody, or, or something like that. So yeah. Um, I guess it has kind of entered the cultural... A lot of the early, quote-unquote, weird Twitter people mm -hmm. freelanced for The Onion in one capacity or the other. Or did uh, Feed Buzz or whatever the fuck. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, Feed Buzz. Jesus. The mockery of BuzzFeed. That was uh, Runt, wasn't it? Runt did Feed Buzz. I'm sorry. Yeah. Clickhole. Yeah. That's an Onion offshoot that comes The Onion later. offshoot. I believe disgraced podcaster Virgil Texas was a headline writer. I mean, that was like a thing. Like, you, you would be like someone, your thing was writing the headlines and the other person was writing the copy. Some other people I, I've heard... May or may not have. Uh, some people say that Drill wrote the uh, Which of My Terrible Sons Are You? <laughs> the quiz. 
the dreaded Laramie. Yeah, it does definitely feel like a drill bit. There's certain voices, boy, when you when you see them in writing, you can almost pick them out. And I, I do feel like the Witch of My Terrible Sons already does does feel like a, a drill bit. Yeah, but, uh, uh, but the Onion was kind of the funniest thing on the internet, I think, for a long while. Still is. Got to be honest, still is. I mean, even though they're, you know, I mean, here's some headlines for, for from today. Here's... Uh, Search party acting like they can't spend three minutes to watch funny video. (laughs) (laughs) Local couple turns to IVF after struggling to have octuplets. (laughs) And my favorite, idiot kid dies after being left in unlocked car. (laughs) (laughs) So it's still happening. I think is the errand that got quicker as far as we how we went through information, went through jokes, whatever. Yeah. I think the headlines became almost more important than than the, the actual writing. Sure. It used to be the inverse, I feel like, you know. Yeah. Someone write a, a solid, you know, five to eight hundred words about, you know, Marilyn Manson going door to door shocking people. But the one <laughs> the one headline that always stuck with me was uh when Obama was running for president, you yeah. know, it was this upstart, you know, junior center and it was a uh, black man asks country for change. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> Technically, that's correct. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, Glenn Beck would probably say something he like would, that. And totally serious. Yeah. Dress, dress like an old timey gold panner. <laughs> I can't believe this, folks. Folks, so, he's on the chalkboard. Yeah. He's not even paying attention. He just unaware of what he's doing. Writes the fourteen words, and oh. he's like. Uh, who put this here? It must have been must have been the communists. Right. <laughs> the funniest part to me, and this is actually kind of weirdly tragic, they moved from Madison, Wisconsin to New York in two thousand one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I had yeah. some internet friends through something awful that lived in Madison or went to school there and had feelings about that. I can imagine. And then of course they were present for September eleventh, and then they published a first paper issue that had been in a while. It was September 27, 2001, a special 9-11 issue. Their popularity only got bigger after that because what do you do but you joke about it, right? There's something... And we were told we were never going to laugh again. Yes. And two weeks later, The Onion proves everyone wrong. So, yeah, just... And then they went back to Chicago and they've been off and on doing, doing print editions and whatnot. I mean, they've done... A number of books, The Onion Ad Nauseum, which is just compilations of articles, The Ecstasy of Defeat, Sports Reporting at Its Finest by the Editors of The Onion, The Onion Book of Known Knowledge, A Definitive Encyclopedia of Existing Information. In 2007, of course, everyone was pivoting to video, so they were no exception. They started The Onion News Network, or ONN short daily videos. But it is one of my favorite things from the website because it created two things that were very important. One, which was the the Onion Film Standard. <laughs> if you've ever seen it, it's, uh, uh, it's pretty good. I think my favorite my favorite Onion News Network one is uh, Child Dies in Tragic Ox- Accident Was Not Glenn Beck. <laughs> I believe that's, the, I'm paraphrasing it, but that's the, yeah. the, the bit. Is it like yeah. some child gets killed by a drunk driver and everyone's upset that the child wasn't yeah, disadvantage or something. Yeah, you know, it's like a crying mom. It's just, I just wish it had been Glenn back with his little <laughs> pig eyes. They also had a Horrifying Planet, which was, of course, the nihilistic version of like a Attenborough yeah. <laughs> nature documentary. Dr. Good, which was a parody of Dr. Oz. This website and this paper 
were taken seriously by the people it was lampooning for a long time. That, I think, is, to me, the, still the staying power mm-hmm. of The Onion. You'll still see it. Someone will post an Onion article without having read the article, just having read the headline, and, like, so true, you know, or something. And, and you'll have to say, no, 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 this is The Onion. This is a satirical website. Still, to this day. They even had, though, my, actually, I said one of my favorite things was Peter Rosenthal, which is the Onion News, uh, Onion Film Standard. The second favorite thing, we talked about this when Casey Green was on the show, my favorite political cartoonist, Kelly. Yes, fantastic. Uh, So this is the most recent one, uh, Wrong John Silver. There's a gentleman wearing a shirt that says, Weary Public Restroom Patrons. He's zipping his pants down. But I'm... Used to the regular kind that flushes automatically. The toilet is labeled burdensome manual style. And there's a guy, of course, in a sicko's shirt crawling under the stall door and going, ha, 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 yes. Kelly in the corner saying, stalled. Me describing it does not give you the full picture. But if you can, uh, it's theonion.com. And uh, look up some of these Kelly cartoons. My God. I mean, he created some really great ones. <laughs> the Crying Lady Liberty is always a feature in there. Yeah, I think my favorite one is uh, the Black History Month one, where it's a guy, a white man, buying uh, <laughs> black porno. We shall overcome. <laughs> He's doing his part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The labels are like, you know, sicko kids or like, uh, you know, un- ungrateful children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like every political cartoon riff that you can do kelly has done it and continues to do it probably the best to ever do it here's one where it's talking about the writer strike called deprogrammed kindly executive on television saying up next nothing because writers hate america Uh, the normal father guy on his knees praying please god deliver us from social interaction in the corner lady liberty has hanged herself (laughs) tortured kids screaming on the ground Outside his window, the wire, the writer is on strike. One of them shirt says "Sicko screenwriters." Ha ha ha! Yes, which is a running meme. Mm-hmm. And then in the corner, Kelly. That's all she wrote. <laughs> like taking the wrong side of every issue, being an asshole. The corner Kelly is is ugh. The Onion. What a website! And then it got sold to Gawker. It's kind of a shell of its former self in some ways, but it's still going pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, you've still got people uh, contributing. Ruben Balling, uh, the Super Fun Pack Comics mm-hmm. guy, and you know Jack Handy, Ken M. A lot of these guys that you kind of know as internet weirdos or people who you know do all that stuff. I'm trying to Rob Delaney. You know, a lot of that stuff does kind of percolate through that. The New Yorker did a piece on the Onion itself, and this is the line that I think is a great summation. Reading this book, which is the political cartoons of Kelly, but it could be kind of applied to the onion as a whole just as the phrasing here reading this book has given me over and over the feeling that the colbert report used to it's a great relief to laugh at the absurdity of a bizarre flummoxed worldview that's confidently and simplistically expressed we want answers we know that at some level we're susceptible to it it is part of us we want easy answers or answers at all and I think that the, the some of the narrative, the way that The Onion constructs the news stories, there's this confident, this is a bad thing, because this. there's a point of view, regardless of who's writing it, definitely comes across, even all these years later, that like they understand the levels of abstraction, and they're still telling you this. I, I, in my mind, it's probably the best satire that has existed in a long time. 
Still, uh, even yeah. after the Gawker merger, because even as as toothless as it might seem or whatever, there's still some stuff there that that it's still pretty good. Like I'll still see some stuff pop up, and uh, I laugh pretty hard. And the Onion News Network stuff is there's there's, there's such a huge organ of content that they've oh, created so since stuff. the 80s that's uh really fucking solid and of course you know there's click hole mm-hmm. i don't know if there's a lot going on there anymore but 10 years ago that was oh yeah well and and what a perfect parody of things like buzzfeed and mm-hmm. and, and you know shareable or whatever the hell it's called you know yeah and you know it's the parody the website that killed all internet journalism right for the most part and then had to lay off their own journalism team which was like Fucking Ouroboros, man. Yeah. Clickhole's headline, of course, because all content deserves to go viral. Uh, Here's a recent headline from Clickhole. Not a great sign. Duolingo just added a language called Space Termite, and it is only teaching words for expressing submission and obedience. (laughs) Kind of created a sort of a feminist offshoot uh, called Reductress, which is a riff on all these like feel good, you know, girl power articles. Uh, NPR also did a great bit on The Onion with the headline, Area Man Realizes He's Been Reading Fake News for 25 Years. <laughs> Morning Edition put that one together. So, 25 Years of The Onion, and now I'm going to show you something extremely gross. You ready for this? Sure. Shock.jpg. Nothing baby. matters anymore. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Shock.jpg. It's called mongface.com. Oh, no. Now, what's interesting is it has nothing to do with Mong or uh, Face. It's, it's, it's a the banner used to read. Yeah, the banner used to read Jessica Alba naked. <laughs> 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 but the content of the site is decidedly different. It is a looping video of a man shoving a telephone receiver up his ass and pulling it out over... It's for and you. Over. <laughs> <laughs> and over again. Gosh, imagine imagine being the person who uses the phone after that. Yeah, what is that? It smells like lube and, and old dog hair. <laughs> yes, this gentleman is definitely hairy. This will go on for a while. I'm just going to go ahead and cut that off. But it is set to <laughs> hanging on the telephone. The nail song performed by Blondie. Or the nerves. I'm sorry. It's the nerves who perform hanging on the telephone. What a deep cut. How, how far do you think you could stick a phone receiver up your ass? Not very far. I'm very, uh, I'm very Squeamish. butt shy. Yeah, yeah it's you just don't, you I don't like taking power back there. Not really. Butt stuff always never really appealed to me. I've been, a little, I guess, I'm a little squeamish about about the. Yeah, I mean, quarters. like I don't know, like I'm, I've never been like a fan of like getting a blowjob, mm-hmm. and it's like someone you just started dating or like someone you met at a bar or whatever, and like that hand starts going behind your hip, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what do you think you're doing? I think if uh, dollars of donuts and someone's like, you think you should stick this phone receiver up your ass? You know what? I would at least give it the college try. I don't know. There's not a lot of good lead in, man. I mean, it's it's mostly just, I mean. I it, mean, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, and then it's going to get worse again if you're trying to get the whole thing up there. I mean, it's it's two different. Anyway, it's, it's, it's yeah, I don't know. I'm, it, I'm sorry, Jason, that you're not, you don't like to live life deliciously no i guess i don't yeah it's just not my deal um <laughs> ring ring banana phone <laughs> <laughs> at least the banana is a little bit smaller i could i might be able to do that i don't know about a phone receiver uh, urban dictionary of course describing mong face as a person whose face is monged which doesn't tell me anything but um the result of several hours of steady smoking i guess i'm i'm not a smoker smoking weed brian Oh, okay, mong so now being we're short. Into... Mong being short for 
a word we don't use anymore. I was gonna say, I'm like, I was like, feeling, I feel like this is getting into some. Uh, we don't use the term Chiaman anymore. Yep, kind it of, is. Kind it is thing. definitely um, outdated, shall we yeah. say? But yeah, so mong faced. I I rather just say getting stupid off that loud. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, my friend Joe used to call it getting blow wo woed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so gauge getting blow wo woed. He had a lot of colorful terms for that stuff. But yeah, that was uh, that's that's the shock.jpg, mongface.com. Do not go to that website. Do not go, you listen, you are not gonna see Jessica Alba naked. No, sadly, uh no. Uh, Unless no. Jessica Alba <laughs> is the person on the phone. <laughs> Too hairy, I think. Well, again, I don't know. I don't know. Like the person calling. Oh. Hold on a second. I got to take this. (laughs) (laughs) Takes on a whole new meaning. (laughs) Can you say that again? I'm wearing a towel. (laughs) I'm going into a tunnel. (laughs) I'm going in. I think the battery's low. You're breaking up. But yeah, can you say that again? That's a Simpsons gag, isn't it? Can you say I'm wearing a towel? Can you say I'm wearing a towel? But he's wearing a towel around his waist, not around his head. Yeah, Yeah. that's. I think that's the joke they were going for. But for a long time, that baffled me. I didn't know. Well, I guess that means it's time for the breath mint, Brian. Yeah, it's time for your mom's favorite part of the show. It's time for the breath mint. For the breath mint, which means that we're going to talk about. well, we're going to talk about Armored Core because that's... Of oh, yeah. The Saturday, Saturday morning was the sound of millions of weeaboo girlfriends being told by their problematically older boyfriends, not now kitten, daddy has to play with the robots. <laughs> if you like Gundam, if you like Evangelion, well, I would recommend it. Um, it's a hoot. I love it. Uh, FromSoft has not made a bad game yet. Armored Core is no exception. I think I played the last one on the PS3. It was Armored Core 5. It was Verdict Day. Really enjoyed that one, although it was a little bit different from earlier entries. I mean, I played the first one on the first PlayStation, and it's definitely, it doesn't hold up. It's really clunky. It takes a little getting used to. Moving to the PS5, Armored Core 6. Ah, smooth like butter. I mm-hmm. mean, just, mm-hmm. you, you can't ask for a more satisfying combat. It's giant mechs. It's huge guns. You're blowing shit you're up. You're flying around. You're shooting your missiles. <laughs> you're getting them the the overheat. Oh the yeah. Red bar shit. And, yeah. and they kind of brought the stagger mechanic from Sekiro, which is what I really like about it so far, is that you can pretty easily stagger these guys and then come in there with a, a melee weapon. And oh boy, there's just there's a lot of options. A lot of people were getting a little salty this weekend when it first came out, getting real salty about one of the first. Big bosses. Baltius. Baltius, yes. Uh, it was a rough ride for me. I mean, it took me a minute, you know. The way the game goes is that you're a genetically engineered mercenary, and you, you arrive on this planet, you steal someone's ID, and you go to work, as as your handler says. Let's go to work. And you get down on the planet, and you're doing all these missions, and then by the end of Chapter 1, you get to this mission where you're doing something else, and then suddenly a boss arrives, you know. This mm-hmm. big boss shows up. And he's firing missiles like it's Gundam. Like, he's just missiles everywhere. A lot of people who may not have played an Armored Core game or people who, you know, don't really get into the mech genre saw that, got their asses kicked by it, and went, what the hell is this? And proceeded to beat their head against a wall for, like, three hours. Yeah. Whereas, anyone who's played an Armored Core game should know that when you die, okay, I got to change some stuff up i gotta put new legs on i gotta get any of this mm-hmm. i gotta get any of that i gotta go back to the part shop maybe i have to start the mission over again 
a lot of that stuff is kind of like, well, if you've played these games before, you know how it goes. Yeah, if you've played Armored if you've played the Souls-like... Damon X Machina, which was the, some of the same guys from the old Armored Core series, went on yeah. to make a game exclusive to the Switch, which was... And now it's on PC, but originally it was exclusive to the Switch. It was very similar in, in kind of style and scope, and like... You just go back. You go back and you play another mission. You get more credits. You buy a thing. You do, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it really actively encourages you to do that. I'm really fond of the fact that you can go back and beat old bosses for money, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is something you can't do in Dark Souls. Those bosses are done. But in this one, you beat a boss and you can rake in a couple hundred thousand comb, whatever it's called. Come. <laughs> I've been wanting to. Yeah, it's it's come. <laughs> you're raking the cum and uh you go buy yourself this badass grenade launcher or whatever you know and you come yeah. back and you kick its ass again that is really cathartic because boy once you get past baltheus and then you can go back and fight him again and again and again for money ah that's fun experimenting with your build and doing all sorts of mecha stuff of course i've got all my uh, Max painted like the Evangelion units because I'm a, as big a weeb as you think I am. It's a hoot. So Brian, are you playing on the X? Oh, no, you playing on the, the the PC, right? We talked about that. I went with the Xbox. You went with the Xbox. Okay, great. Yeah, controller definitely feels like the right vibe. I wanted to play PC because I I think I have a beefier rig than my Xbox, but sitting at my my desk doesn't is not as no. fun as sitting on the couch there's definitely something to be said for kind of leaning back a little bit and kind of especially if you're replaying a mission you played before right you're yeah. gonna get, go like oh yeah i've done this a million times but um i really enjoyed it it feels like an armor core game yeah just like a little bit more modernized like it's it's clunky and weird and obtuse in the same way i've found other armor core games to be and that is perfectly fine with me i say it's kind of part and parcel yeah <laughs> it kind of goes with the territory i was kind of amazed that you beat baltius without switchback legs which is what everyone's doing is like the fast and light builds but you went a little heavy i just had to go ham uh <laughs> i just got in there and like I, I purchased the assault kick and then kept the plasma sword i'm like okay this is good this feels good the, uh, are you using the blue sword whatever the first sword you get oh the, the pulse sword because it chews through pulse armor because it's a pulse weapon. So Sure. And, and Baltius has a pulse shield. I How I did was I used the songbirds oh, on I one shoulder. Yeah. Songbirds on one shoulder. I think the default rockets on the other. And then you get like the weird like little radar gun. The pulse gun, yeah. Pulse gun. Use that. No, I'm wrong. I, I did not use the song uh, the default. I used the songbirds on one shoulder. I used one that shoots two pulse missiles. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pulse pulse weapons versus pulse armor. That's how you got to do it. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I went ham that like that way, and so I had like the weird little pulse gun, mm-hmm. and I have been using the second plasma sword that you can buy. Oh, the laser sword. Laser sword. I'm sorry. That goes in a much purple rockets. Yeah. And the yeah, one that, that one. the one that looks like a, a solar panel that shoots <laughs> weird bubble things. Yeah, oh. the, the bubble gun. Yeah, people have been saying that. I really enjoyed it. Baltius was kind of a pain in the ass. The second chapter boss was a little obnoxious by sea spider yeah spider i uh i figured him out though and just before i came out here to record i started chapter three which um it's i feel like it's starting to lose me a little bit as far as the mission design but we'll see once you get to the decision missions and you can kind of choose your ending then then it starts to get real interesting because i'm at a point in the middle of chapter three i've made a couple of decisions 
and there's a couple of, of missions where you're taking on this planetary control association, which is this big kind of uh, space police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're kind of, you know, you're kind of uh, saying a cab to them and uh, blowing up their stuff. And then it's like, okay, now, now, now we're getting somewhere. And, and now you're starting to choose your faction, who you're aligning yourself with. Are you aligning yourself with the liberators? Are you aligning yourself with the companies? And, and so it kind of takes its own, because it starts out, you're just kind of taking jobs from wherever. And then by mm-hmm. a certain point in the game, you can start making decisions who you align yourself with. Are you going to align yourself with the corporations? Are you going to align yourself with the people who want to free the planet of Rubicon? Are you going to, you know, are you going to go your own way? So it definitely opens oh, so it's up. like New Vegas. Not nearly as many endings, but there, but there are definitely choices you can make, as a, uh, including you know who to support and who who to to blow up. It's uh, what I always liked about Armored Core was the setting, mm-hmm. at least the first one that like there was some cataclysmic event and then people were basically driven underground. The above world stuff was very sparsely used and it made it feel very interesting and mm-hmm. bizarre when you would actually and then you go to the moon, yeah, and yeah, I don't know. It just does a lot of little things that I really appreciate. I'm sure lots of it has not aged well, but I sure enjoyed the fuck out of it when I was a kid. Well, I mean, if you ever watched the 1980s or 1990s giant mech anime and really wanted to put yourself in the pilot seat, these games are pretty much the best way to do it. That and maybe Mech Warrior, but Mech Warrior is too much spreadsheets for me. <laughs> yeah, me- Mech Warrior. I remember playing a lot of Mech Warrior 2 mm-hmm. on PlayStation and having a lot of fun with that, but I think that's where I kind of ended. There were some spin-offs. I think Frame Guy was the other one mm-hmm. that was like a multiplayer one, but boy, what a power fantasy it is to get, just be gliding around this this moon base and your giant dual-wielding shotguns and blowing shit up from a distance. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a blast. If you like Gundam, boy, you're going to like this game. That's all I'm like saying. like big robots doing big robot things and bizarre bizarre sparsely told stories which if you're a from software fan you should already be ready for that yeah 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 <laughs> seen some reviews complaining about how the way the stories told them like oh no i kind of like this i like this you like you don't ever see like a human being yeah in these games really yeah. you just you, humanity is kind of removed from it it's all very abstracted it's it's fairly you alienating yeah it's and very cyberpunk in the way that like corporations kind of are stand-ins for nations nations and- yeah yeah there's a there's definitely a uh, william gibson vein running through it too as mm-hmm. far as like this it's a cyber dystopia in a way yeah. like there's this uh, overemphasis on on corporations and, and alliances and all this stuff about like you know the character you play as in armor core six in particular is you know a not a failed genetic experiment, but he's definitely one that was ripe for someone to take advantage of. Right. You know, yeah, uh, it's kind of implied. You know, someone plucks him out of obscurity, launches him at this planet, says, here, go do a thing. And so he's this pawn in this larger game, and you only kind of get glimpses of that. And that, that kind of that's neat. I like that. Yeah, I like that kind of storytelling. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Armored Core 6, go fucking play it. Yeah, definitely. Ignore your girlfriend and <laughs> your dishes and your pets. And your children and your wife, yes. yes. And, <laughs> Sorry, kids, you're going to have to uh, order out again. Um, dad's, that, almost dad's... Happened. that almost happened two days in a row. <laughs> Obviously, I made it work, but uh, yeah, there was some... I was like, oh shit, it's 6 o'clock, guys? 6 o'clock? I guess everyone's having cereal. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I got really into, despite my initial feelings about it, 
was Star Trek Lower Decks. I thought, and I said this publicly, I thought it was going to be Trek and Morty, and that it was, you know, just kind of like, eh, it's Ah, jeez, ah, jeez, yeah. I- I, and there's a little bit of that. having sex with things in, in the room in the room where the, where the stuff isn't real but it's real there's a little bit of that i will i will preface this by saying there is more give, give me some more Rom, romulan ale <laughs> there is a little bit of that but i i do find that i'm, I'm most of the way through the first season now I'm, I'm just about ready to start the second and i'm enjoying it more than i thought i would i guess that's yeah. that's my kind of qualifier I prefer the serious Trek stuff. I don't really go for the silly episodes. The silly episodes are kind of like, ah, that's fine. Um, the Q episode, you know, this stuff with Q, you know, that's fine. Uh, the ones that are trapped in the holodeck, how many fucking times can that happen? But, you know, some of my favorite Trek stuff was like Voyager. I mean, most of those episodes were fairly straight-faced, you know. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, Lower Decks got its hooks in me, and I think it's because... One of the characters, who is the daughter of the captain of the ship that she's serving on, is as big a Star Trek nerd as we are, right? So there's she's she against all reason is the audience insert character who is a Star Trek fan. First moments of the first episode, she pulls out a bailiff and starts swinging it around and mm-hmm. accidentally injures a crewmate, and then <laughs> credits start. <you> know? <laughs> oh, okay, all right. There's a whole riff about there's a there's a Gorn wedding. You know, they're bringing back Gorns from the original series. Deep cuts, all these really funky bits. Uh, there's one episode where they have to babysit a Klingon ambassador, and he wants to fight and get drunk the whole time, so they have to, like, hangover-style chase him around this planet <laughs> trying to figure out where he went. And then there's some solid comedy to be had because Trek in and of itself is a silly idea. Yeah. And so it's it's full of stuff that's silly. And Space so... communists trying to fix everyone's problem? <laughs> well, there's that too. Yeah. Uh, one of the guys, you know, falls in love with a crewmate, but she has a different schedule than him. So he quits his department engineering and tries out for all these different departments. So he tries out for security, you know, and he's kind of a cyborg. So he like has an advantage over that. And he turns out he's really good at all these other departments, but... He doesn't want to do anything but hang around in the Jeffries tubes. And so that's a whole that's a sub that's a B plot in an episode. So it's 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 better than you think, I think is what I'm getting at. And it, because on the surface, it's exactly as I said, it's Trek and Morty. Fast talking, goofy animation, very much the same animation style actually. The <laughs> ugly ass cartoon. Yeah. But they make use of their kind of limited scope because that's kind of what Trek does. Right, it's lower budget television than you than, than you ever really expect, and they make use of it. It's Doctor Who all the way. It's old Trek all the way, and so they they kind of play on that. There's not a lot of really like visually impressive stuff, except when there is, but it's rare. You know, I had a good time watching. It, it was really fun. Brian, what about you? I've done a terrible thing <laughs> in my relationship. Oh no! And it's we're, we're going to watch all the Saw movies. Oh I've, boy! I think we're we're going to do it. It's time. We watched the first one. We're like, oh, this is kind of fun. And then we watched the second one a couple weeks ago. I'm like, oh, wow. This feels like a much smaller movie than I remember it being. Saw 2 does definitely, yeah. But, you know, it's it's Diane Wahlberg, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Threatening, threatening. <laughs> Don't you know what my, what my brother did to a Vietnamese grocer in 1988? What do you think I'm going to do you if I don't get the answers that I want? <laughs> if I was on that plane. <laughs> if, I was on, if I was on that plane with my brother, I would have watched him. 
I don't know why I'm doing a Stanley impression. It's fine. It was it's me fine. and Mike Dicka. Yeah. <laughs> but it it feels right. Uh, <laughs> but um, the second one is like, wow, this feels like a much smaller movie. Yeah. Smaller in scope than I remember. But it was fun. And then we watched the third one last night. And I was like, oh, wow. Wow. There's what what the fuck is this movie trying to say? Oh, what 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 is what the fuck? Yeah. What? Like, it's like, is Jigsaw horny for the woman he tried to kill? Is no, the woman's horny for him, and he's he's just he just wants to play games. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and um, uh, Shawnee Smith, by the way, got to give it up to her for for sticking it out through three of these movies. <laughs> none of the kills are really that good. No, but you do get uh, uh, the the return of Detective Eric Matthews, who was locked in the bathroom at the end of the first one. So yeah. that's a nice little little taste. Some of nice that. little cameos and some stuff gets like circled around and also erasing the other minion that the jigsaw had in the first movie that that's never to be mentioned again <laughs> the michael emerson <laughs> ben linus from lost never nope he's never gonna be in it again it's, it's i so think this fucking... was during when lost was taking off so they're like yeah we're, we're just we're not gonna it's the scope of it is really weird and you kill off both of the character, the the two main characters from the first movie, right? Uh, Donnie Wahlberg is killed off in a way that's more interesting. But the uh, the female detective, Carrie, I can't remember. Carrie, it's Carrie. Carrie, yeah, is not so satisfying. And like the way that she dies, like the special effects, like the the imp- the implement that she finds herself stuck in is really cool. But the thing is, she she wakes up, she gets abducted by Amanda. Carrie wakes up and she's being she's upright and she's in this restraint that has embedded itself into her rib cage up oh, to her chest yeah and the the jigsaw voice is like no man or you know carrie you're not you're not carrie you're not to see your your hand, hand come, on, ass come, on, carrie. come on come on carrie <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you want if you want if we're gonna play a little game here in the, in the game the game is you're going to stick your hand in the acid. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is true. Uh, but the thing, the thing is, the beaker, yeah, or the glass that the acid is in, has a lip on it. And I'm like, as we're watching, I'm like, I'm, I'm telling my girl, I'm telling D, I'm like, she just tip the acid forward, pour some of it out before the mm-hmm. the key that's mm-hmm. dissolving in the acids becomes too brittle or too damaged to mm-hmm. the unlock the yeah, device. Yeah, you could at yeah. least pour half of it out and make it a little bit easier for yourself. But Detective Carrie does not do that. She no. gets the key out of course because now Amanda is taking up the reign of Jigsaw. Amanda is 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 working a different line of ethics and philosophy yes. here. And that's and the this key, is where the series starts to really take off in weird directions is, is when Amanda becomes the trap maker. But anyway, yeah. The, but but the, the key that Detective Carrie has does not open the lock that would free her. And Amanda makes herself known just moments before the, the trap goes off. And Carrie, Detective Carrie goes, oh, it's just it's you. And then the... Oh yeah, in a, in an inversion of the jaw ripping one from the first one, it mm-hmm. rips open her rib cage instead. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just a weird special effect. And also, the weird thing is that like before she dies, Carrie decides that she's gonna put her arms up perfectly so you can get a good shot of the the, the <laughs> machine uh, dismantling her midsection. Right. Yeah, she didn't want to break her arms, I guess. Uh, having... And there's also like the drunk father. Oh God! Yeah. Ah, oh, jeez, I just love drinking and neglecting my child because my other kid died. Ah, oh, jeez. Ah, oh, jeez. Ah, oh, this woman, she's naked. 
Oh, she's thinking. Oh, they're putting wire on it. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, the key. Oh, my face is stuck on the on the pipe. Oh, she's dead already. Yep. Oh, the key. I guess I'll just go over here. Oh, it's the judge. Oh, he's, yeah. he's got the dead pig guts. Oh, he's drowning the... Oh, drowning in geez. the pig guts. Yeah, that's uh, a... That's a- a all-time classic for the series as far as like really gross traps drowning in the pig guts drowning the pig guts and then it becomes the guy that college student the drunk (laughs) the drunk college student who's like i'm going to medical school (laughs) you know it really goes well with medical school drinking and driving yep oh god God, jeez i'm gonna kill the kid now you're neglecting to mention my favorite part of the movie is that amanda kidnaps and puts a trap on a brain surgeon to help Jigsaw survive the next night. So mm-hmm. <laughs> she puts a collar on the, the brain surgeon like with five shotgun, shotgun yeah. shells that are going to blow her head off if she doesn't fix Jigsaw's brain. This is a man, by the way, who for three movies has been dying. <laughs> yeah, like, the whole entire time. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Ah, yeah. oh, jeez, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah. I quit cigarettes, the red meat, the vodka, and they still said, ah, yep. it's not looking so good, Mr. Jigsaw. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Amanda kicks it at the end of that one, so we will not be seeing uh, her again. In, I think in this is Saw where I trailed four. off. Yeah. Well, I think Saw 4 is where, and again, this is me, a guy who's seen all of them more than once. I think Saw 4 is where it takes off in a different direction altogether. It's no longer well. I think three is as well. It's not really about John Kramer anymore. That this is about you know doctor drunk driving and killing a kid. It's all whole thing. Uh, <laughs> so Saw Four is where Jigsaw teams up with a corrupt cop, and then it becomes a whole other you know. There's three more movies after that where it's um, it's mayhem for mayhem's sake, and a very twisty plot. Which first time viewer is. Sometimes it takes a minute to like, who is this? Oh, okay. Because there's a couple of these guys in the fourth and fifth movie. Two of these guys look alike. And and they're playing, but they're different characters. And they're on opposite sides of this thing, right? And one of them's the corrupt cop that's helping uh, Jigsaw, ostensibly. And then the other one is the good guy, in quotes, uh, who's stuck in all these traps. And it's like, wait, did he? Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was the other guy. You have to, <laughs> you have to watch them at least once. Four and five especially because five takes place at the same time as three. It's a whole... The timeline's fucked. <laughs> There's no way that anyone's going to make any sense of Saw There's like parts of two that technically take, take place, place during one. Yes. And they keep doing that. It keeps getting more and more confused. And, and I kind of like some of that. It's fine. Uh, we want to we talk about a little bit of music? Please. Talk a little bit. Jason, did you listen to the new Hives album? I have not listened to the new Hives album. What do you think? Uh, I listened to it once at work. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I have not really thought about it much. After. I was like, yeah, I don't hate it. I also, there's yeah. no reason for me to revisit this over anything else the Hives have put out. It's, it's, it's kind of how I felt about the Black and White album. Uh, Tyrone, I, I think uh, VV Vicious, Tyrosaurus Hives. Yeah, those two are are spectacular. Uh, I think Black and White albums got some good stuff on it. Um, Lex but Hives to those is rough, other, but compared to those other two, I mean, you you can't really put them on the same league. I mean, they're barely the same sport. I mean, it's it's the same guys, but I, I really felt like by the time they got to Black and White album, it was just kind of like, eh. It's their first record in over ten years. Straightforward weirdo punk music it's swedish it's well done 
I get it almost feels like well Viagra boys are, are hitting the big maybe we should do a new record I think Helen Pel- Pele Pele Pel and uh, the dude from Viagra boys can sound very similar Howlin Pete baby I thought it was Pell. Oh. P-L-E. I thought it was Howlin' Pete. <laughs> no, Howlin' Pete's like uh, the racist hot sauce guy. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's definitely a very he different was, uh, thing. He yeah. was the one that um, he got in trouble for posing for that photo with Joe Apio. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, that's definitely not the guy that I want to, to uh, try to emulate. No. Um, Howlin' Pele. Okay, I was wrong. All these all these years, that was Howlin' Pete. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like crap. Oh, Howlin' Pete over there. <laughs> He's making all this noise. Yeah, it does. It, yeah, I don't know. But they're... Uh, uh, yeah, going to bust his britches. <laughs> uh, Anyways, it's. I listened to it once. I was like, oh, I hate this. And I, I have not gone back to it. More relevant to things. Uh, the new Jeff Rosenstock record uh, dropped today. Yes, it did. Uh, did you listen to it? Yeah, the man does not disappoint. I have never had a bad time listening to a Jeff Rosenstock record, with maybe the exception of the seven-minute opener to Post. Aside from that, <laughs> you even like the the Ska record? Yeah, of course the I Ska did. Ska Dreams. Fun. Ska Dreams is great because uh, he had uh, Ska Two Network on there. There was some really some really cool modern people. The guys from Kill Lincoln were on there. I mean, there's some there's some real raw talent there and it recontextualized no dream into a little bit more of an upbeat record. So, uh, I, I listened to it a couple times today and, uh, I really liked it. His, his stuff's really not my particular flavor of punk rock adjacent music, but, mm. uh, I've met him a few times. He's a sweetheart. Um, always respectably he's done, you know, you know, either, you know, as a solo musician or bomb the music industry, arrogant bastards. Uh, yeah. The uh, Marigold, uh, it's not Amerigo Vespucci. It's something Vespucci that he did with one of the... Anyway, yeah, various side projects. Yeah, I, I always liked the guy. I always respected his work. He always puts on a great live show. Very excited to be photographing him later in the month of September. About two weeks, man. Yeah, it was, it's, a, it's a Sunday. Yeah. I, I, that's so cruel. I was texting with Bert. It's like, how are we going to go off now that we all have bad knees? Yeah, I know. And it's on a Sunday? Oh, boy. Oh, we all got work tomorrow? Uh. Jeez. I think the one time the bomb music industry played the Firebird, Bert, who's a huge fan of Jeff, him and one of the other and one of the security guards were on stage the whole entire time because the fucking kids kept up on stage and the Firebird, just to inform the folks at home, was a four hundred cap room that didn't have particularly high ceilings because uh, it used to be a medical office. Yeah. There was a drop ceiling over like the dance floor area, but the drop ceiling gave way over the stage and you could kind of see like the scaffolding that was on the ceiling. And so these kids just kept hanging from the scaffolding and they weren't being like destructive. They were just being rowdy yeah. and uh, yeah. and all that. Everyone had to be like, I-, I hope no one fucking falls and breaks their neck. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a fun show. I'm looking for, I've seen him a few times since then as a solo musician. But the new record's great. It's uh it's you know, it's got a little bit more acoustic stuff on there. It's it's very thoughtful and I think like the new Andrew Jackson Jihad record, which oh, I'm I'm foreshadowing, there seems to be some contemplation from a space of a more comfortable space than he's probably been ever or in a long time. And what do you do? Like, you know, all of a sudden, like, hey, you don't have to worry about money the same way. Or, like, you uh, people respect what you do. Or life's just a little bit easier. But you also just find out, like, well, okay, like, I don't have to worry about bills in the same way. But, like, you know, 
turns out like it, it fixed some shit, but some shit is, is never going to get fixed, apparently. Yeah. I mean, and, he's been doing that for the past couple of records, especially like uh, on, on No Dream in particular. You know, he's like, yeah, I got money to buy a new pair of Nikes, but that's not going to solve the hollowness in my spirit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some of the songs on Hell Mode, like, uh, uh, yeah, Future is Dumb is the one I always get to come back to. Like, yeah, it's, sure, things are easier now, but shit's still fucked up. This is yeah, still, he's, uh, he's like talking about like you know I can I can go to the desert and I can afford the fuck off at the desert because I have fuck off desert money. Right, there's still homeless people and like you know yeah shit's easier for me, but like other people are still suffering or stuff's less awful or less difficult for me, but it doesn't fix the world. And I think that's kind of what the new Andrew Jackson Jihad record kind of that's some of the same space it occupies. Oh, for sure. Andrew Jackson Jihad, by the way, AJJ, boy, I am getting, I'm getting my wife into them. She's a big Mountain Goats fan. And I said, boy, if you like Mountain Goats, you're going to like AJJ. And the first song I played for her was uh, Angel of Death. Yeah. <laughs> Where it has that line about uh, tanning bed <laughs> in the classroom, in no. the history class from the future. <laughs> that one. And then there's the line about I'm the, I'm the Kool-Aid stain around a, 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 the mouth of a kid whose name is probably Cody. Yeah. He had juice box for breakfast and he carries a stick that he most likely found the, in the alley. Yeah. Cody and, doesn't have friends and his parents hate each other. He's trying to find a better way to find his family. And after school, he hangs out at the abandoned house behind the Arby's. Yeah. What a, <laughs> what a fucking line. Like Sean fucking nails it. And and Sean and Jeff Rosenstock, they, they they're buddies. Kinda, yeah, oh, yeah, they've yeah. toured together. And Sean has covered Jeff. And I got my kids listening to Death Machine. <laughs> yeah. Which is a, a, not a bad way to, to introduce yourself to, to Sean's particularly nihilistic story. Well, I mean, it's, it's not just Sean. It's Sean, Ben, and... No, but I mean, like, his lyrics is, is yeah, in particular yeah. Yeah, are, are, are uh, yeah, a drawing I've, point for me. I've, uh, you know, got to, got to photograph Andrew Jackson Jihad last Sunday. Ow! I had a really good time. Uh, it was a fucking stacked bill. Like, the kind that you don't really see in a fucking market like st louis it was because you mentioned foot ox foot ox sad park sad park and their new record is produced by sean and that's pretty killer i don't know if i said this last episode but the first time i listened to him like oh this band's from la yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like oh, this, is, this band's not from la like i don't know <laughs> anything about music yeah, yeah yeah i was like oh yeah they're from la and like they're it's not the most original fucking sound in the world but they fucking got the goods and that's enough sometimes. It's, yeah, it's yeah. like, uh, like that was the first thing. Like, man, I've heard this band like a dozen times. Like, oh, but I don't think I've heard this band this good, this mm-hmm. hungry, mm-hmm. Uh, this intelligent and witty and full of piss and vinegar and all that good stuff. Uh, sometimes that's all it takes, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give, me, give me a band that's full of piss and vinegar and I'll follow them to the end of the earth. But also on the bill was... Uh, Open Mike Eagle, who was fantastic. God, I haven't heard from him in a long time. Uh, he's got a new record, a uh, new little tape, another advancement in ghetto engineering, I think that's what it's called. <laughs> okay. Another triumph of, yeah, another triumph of, of ghetto, ghetto engineering. engineering. Yeah. Uh, it's a great little lo-fi record, some good shit on there, some great guest verses. Well, track one is I bled on stage at first half, so. Yeah, and there's like references to, um, oddly enough, uh, last time, he was in town. He was with AJJ last July, mm-hmm. and they had to cancel like a week of shows because uh, when the guys in AJJ came down with COVID after the St. Louis show. Oh boy, there's a reference of you know COVID making touring hard, and it's a great little record. I haven't got to spend a ton of time with it, but I've enjoyed it. But uh, Open Mike Eagle is 
kind of one of the last holdouts of a style of backpacker rap that doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's them and like uh, Aesop, maybe, maybe, and yeah. uh, you know, Rap Fiera. Yeah, maybe a little bit of Billy Woods, but I think Billy Woods is kind of post that and that that moon griffin guy who who now is just like doing jazz albums but when he was first coming out he definitely had a a weirdo because he's one of those guys that will just like name drop pharaoh sanders in the middle of a record and like expect you to know what that means (laughs) yeah but st louis has always had a really hard time with indie hip-hop yeah i've seen a lot of people open mike eagle has toured with and has probably been inspired by Plays some really sad crowds in St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis is the sort of market where you can book, where you could book Lil B at the absolute apex of his popularity and lose money. Yeah, um, yeah. I've seen Buck sixty five, um, Soul. I think the only indie hip hop people of that generation that really draw here are like Atmosphere and Aesop Rock. Open my eagle felt like he was getting a little frustrated with how quiet the crowd was yeah st Saint- louis is a bad hip-hop scene like i, I try to explain to my girlfriend that like she's like i want to go to like a local hip-hop show i'm like you don't want to do that and yeah like, why he's like it'll probably be really bad yeah because like most talented people either like move away or they get shot yeah like that's like baby huey like all yeah. of these there's all of these rappers who you know they started to really you know create a career and they either like burnt out like tef poe I don't even know if really it's fair to say Tefpo has like gotten burnt out, but like that dude's been getting quieter and quieter over the last like four or five years. He's he's definitely still a loudmouth on social media though. So, sure. Yeah. But yeah, he's definitely releasing stuff. The only other guy that I can think of from that like early aughts period that's still around, still doing stuff, is vandalism. Yeah, or Rockwell. Rockwell, yeah. Rockwell yeah, yeah. Knuckles. But like those dudes just don't play out like they used to. Uh, Vandalism was no. a great guy. I mean, you know, we used to have stuff like scripts and screws, uh, family yeah. affair, Eighteen accounting, like stuff for for someone like sexy red to like get big out of St. Louis. Just feels like such a lightning in the bottle moment. Like mm, you know, good mm, for her. Mm. Um, and Pound Town's a fucking bop, and oh, yeah. she unapologetically fucking St. Louis. Fucking a, yeah. Uh, saw a clip of her on some podcast. <laughs> where she's like trying to do the interview but she keeps getting phone calls and it's like someone from st louis county like in in lockup trying to give her a ring and she's like baby i can't talk to you right now i'm doing an interview i'm like fuck yeah yeah talk about hometown repping jesus yeah yes. there's <laughs> oh, i'll put money on your books hold on yeah yeah hold on. Uh, but anyways get you the commissary it's all good but st louis is there's just a weird strain with hip-hop it's yeah. it's it's either white dudes that work at crap breweries rapping about how much they hate corporations. You remember yeah, those guys, you know yeah, who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Dudes that owe everyone they've ever lived with money and then <laughs> act like, you know, and act like they're balling out of control. No, yeah. yeah, yeah show yeah. up at protests, um, on the South side and, uh, you know, throw shit at cops till the cops start macing and beating up black people. Then you run away. And, yeah. You yeah. know, all the, you know, <laughs> the whole like white anarchists, you know, conspiracy theory for Ferguson unfortunately has a few teeth. Despite all that, Open Mike Eagle and Video Dave put on a fantastic fucking set. And to just kind of take us go back to the beginning, getting to see fucking Foot Ox was like fucking goosebumps. Yeah, you were seeing that last week about that. Like, you're never going to see them, and this is a rare opportunity, and oh, all yeah. that. And like, yeah. Really beautiful set. You could kind of tell that they were used to playing like like fucking DIY places. They're like a donut shop during the day. Yeah. And like, you know, like, oh, this a fucking is nice. sake bar at night. You know, yeah. th- there's one bathroom and you can only get to it by walking in front of the stage. You know, like this, like the worst, like yeah. this is the worst place to ever do anything, but somehow it works. 
kind of rooms and uh so they're looking around this going oh hey hey, what's what's going on it was super good like they played lucky strike which is the song that ajj kind of made famous by covering it Mm -hmm. and uh just fucking beautiful little set i love that record quite a bit it's uh one of the most pleasant surprises i've encountered this year you know all the folks here they they really want to think uh they want to know what i think about ajj and man they fucking they fucking brought it man they got yeah they got fucking they got that fucking fire in their belly that was something i was saying to people last summer when they came through it was like man they just really got the heat like there's something really magical with the energy that they're expressing on stage that i just hadn't seen before like they always put on a good show mm-hmm. i've never seen them put on a bad set and i've seen them in different parts of the country in different configurations and with different types of bands on this on the bill and all that and um this time in the time last summer is it's just jesus they're on the fucking something there's something they're i don't know if they're like you know doing some kettlebell exercises in <laughs> in the in the parking lot at the hotel every morning they're together getting a good pump yeah. yeah yeah they're getting they're fucking you know making sure their macros are good i don't know if they're <laughs> getting into trans, trans, yeah. <laughs> transcendental meditation yeah i don't know maybe one guy's got a viamix yeah <laughs> <laughs> some something's going on something's just going on yeah, yeah. able to pull from all these different parts of their nearly 20 year history as a band and have everything hit and sound so fresh and relevant and powerful. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the strength of the new record, disposable everything. I mean, it's, it's such a fiery something about disposable. Everything just has a lot of this like urgency to it. I'm going to have to side with the Neil drop guy anthony fantano the (laughs) world's most cucked music nerd um (laughs) that uh i feel like some of the songs compositionally feel like a little unfinished sure and there's some production choices i don't really love but here's the fun thing about live music is that sometimes you can go see a band live and a song that you really don't like on the record they play it live you're like oh i get it now Yeah. yeah and that was uh the instance for a couple songs off the new record. I'm like, Oh, this really fucking, okay. I get it. I understand this song. You yeah. take the studio away from it and you get to see it performed by real breathing human beings. And like, all of a sudden you see the life, you see the intent. It, it enters you. They were fucking fantastic. That, that is one of those things where I was like, damn it. I should have gone to that show. Yeah, you should have. Yeah. I should have invited you. I should have just gone. <laughs> yeah well I, I fucking i was telling bert how good the bert fucking well he didn't book the show because i think it went through a, a outside promoter he knows those guys as long as i have if not yeah. longer and he like well he had do the nwa show at at the chase which okay sure mm-hmm. well I, apparently right. billy corgan really trusts him to book a wrestling which is so fucking uh, all right uh, Burkus yeah. lives his dream he gets the book fucking carny shit and like his favorite bands and do all this crazy stuff but Wednesday night, I'm texting with him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm on my way to the Blue Note," and I'm like, "So fu- oh, the Blue Note, Blue Note's in Columbia. It Columbia is kind of a weird town, but downtown is really nice. And there is a, I guess it's probably like a 700 cap venue called the Blue Note, and it's an old theater. It has this really beautiful proscenium arch. I got to talk to Sean for a quick second at the show in St. Louis, and I was like, "Hey, that place you're playing in Columbia on Wednesday is fucking tits. You're gonna have a fucking blast." He's like, "Oh well." Okay, cool, because I was kind of bummed we weren't playing Rose Music Hall, which is where we've been playing in Columbia for a couple of years. I'm like, well, that room's fucking cool, too, it's but, good, but, but yeah. Blue Note's special. And Burrow's like, yeah, it was fucking fantastic. And I 
was talking with tech, DMing with Sean. He's like, yeah, it was a fucking, that was a cool place. I'm like, it, they just get really weird shows. There. I think the last show I really wanted to go see at the Blue Note was like 10 years ago. And it was like Y and Dose One. And Oof. Yeah. yeah, I kind of I regret not yeah. making that trek. Because yeah. the only time I've ever been, actually, I've only been to the Blue Note once. Okay. And it was, gosh, it was a year I turned 21, which I was either 2016. 2006 or 2007 mm. i was working at the print shop oh the one that you used to work yeah, at yeah the same one yeah. and uh the whole thing is that we were going to go down or go drive to columbia see the yeah yeah yeahs Ooh. at the blue note and then drive back to st louis and what happened was was that my friend's sister's chevy lebaron convertible all these fucking st charles kids i'm with don't know how to parallel park i'm the only oh, one God. oh no and we're alongside this bank in downtown Columbia. I kid you not, the car's overheating. There's traffic behind us. As I parallel park the car and I put it in park, the Dead. moment it takes me to put it in park and turn off the keys, a terrible sound emits from the engine. Ooh. I get out of the car and I see fluid going down the hill towards the, towards the next street. Oh, no. And I'm like, cool. Well, fuck. Oh, no. So we all proceeded to just get royally <laughs> fucked up. And it turns out my friend's sister, her boyfriend, who's a frat boy. The only time a frat boy has ever done anything good for me in my life. I called up his boys at his chapter in St. Louis. Got in contact with some dudes at the chapter at Mizzou. And one of those dudes show up in an ignorant ass fucking big ass truck with like fucking <laughs> proto rolling coal kind of Ooh. business. And there's a very long, bizarre story about how we fix all this. But the show, this is when the yeah, yes, we're doing the we hate each other thing. Like there was that spin article. This is like show your bones era. This is the just came out with the, the is is or the ISIS EP. Yeah. Just really kind of like, oh, wow, these people are really just doing this for contractual obligations. I, I still believe that's probably what they're doing. The, the thing that was great about that was getting to see Shun for the first time. Hey. Which was Cody Chills. I don't even know how to say his last name. S-S-I-O-N is the band. Mm-hmm. People think it, used to think it was Scion, but this weirdo guy from Kentucky who went to art school in Kansas City who then moved to New York to make all this really weird music and uh, met the AAS, did the album artwork for Fever to Tell. He's done music videos for Peaches, Santa Gold, a bunch of other people, but his group, Shun, is fucking amazing. And I remember just being really bummed the fuck out about, like, how am I going to get the fuck home? And we're drinking, like, dollar fucking PBRs, but Ooh. they're the fucking uh, sound booth. Yeah, dollar PBRs. It was It was the golden era. I'm like talking with my friend and I'm like, how the fuck are we going to get back to St. Louis? None of us have a lot of money. We just really had enough money to make this work. They put up this giant screen over the proscenium arch and the music starts. And there's this woman dressed like a lesbian, like librarian vampire, like menacing (laughs) the stage. And then as this, as this beat swells and it gets more and more intense, on the screen, this giant screen, which is the entirety of the Perseum Arch, there is all of a sudden the pyramids. Okay. And then in the middle of the center pyramid, a dog turd appears. <laughs> and then the smoke machine starts. And then over all of that appears the words whatever and this very stylized hand script. 
and like the A's are anarchy symbols and the T's are upside down crosses. And I was like, oh, oh, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Yeah, the yeah yeahs were really fucking boring, but that was the whole thing was worth it just to see Shun yeah, play this absolutely insane fucking show. And uh, I've I've been lucky and I've got to see Shun live a few other times after that, but that was still I still cite that set, that performance is like me getting interested in music again. Cause like at that time I never had seen anything like it. They had a song called Street Jizz and the course is G Wiz Street Jizz. Um it's just everything was just so creative and but i was like my friends were going to go going to see like you know the white stripes and like quintron and, sure. and pussycat mr Qu- quintron mr pussycat and i didn't go because i was like i don't know music's lame and st louis is lame which is both of those things can be true right but then i saw i went to i saw this performance and i was like oh sick i and, believe in music again yeah, yeah and i had like i had like made a phone call at the venue to my dad who worked at the print shop and was like, yeah, uh, our car broke down literally as we were parking. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it in the work tomorrow. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll let, so, you know, let them know. And so that, I think that show was a Wednesday fix everything. We get back Thursday, fucking haggard ass day. And another thing about Columbia that people need to know is that it is probably one of the fastest growing suburban areas in the country, and or at least was for a good period of time. So there's no fucking trees. You might as well be in fucking Dallas, Fort Worth, suburban Texas. Right. There's no tree. So we had like walk a bunch of places and we're just like not eating, not staying hydrated. We spent all night drunk. So we get back to St. Louis. I show up at the print shop on Friday and was basically told to go home and never got called back. <laughs> It's for the best, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you also worked there, so yeah. I was making eight bucks an hour, which at the time for a dumbass like me was a shit ton of money. Yeah. Which is really sad to think that there was a point in human history where like making eight bucks an hour was a lot. This is about the part of the show where we tell people where to find us online. Brian, why don't you kick us off? Tell us where to find you and tell us all our stories about seeing giant uh, pyramids with turds on them. Oh, I had a joke, but I lost. Anyways, JFK is alive. Okay. And he is the turd on the pyramid. Fair enough. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Blue Sky um, at uh, ishotgidibor. That's I-S-H-O-T-G-U-I-D-B-O-R-D. You can find my work over at assholemusicphotographer.com if you want to check out my portfolio and amusicphotographer.com hey. if you want to see words going with photos. The AJJ write-up and stuff will be up by the time this goes live over on uh, the artsstl.com jason where can they send you death threats oh boy send them to me i am on twitter and various other places as video crime v-i-d-e-o-c-r-i-m-e you see a video crime chances are it's me and also on tiktok as at laser goose ceo you can find the show of course for eight minutes dogs barking.com Various other places. You can shoot us an email, Jason at 48minutesdogsbarking.com. Brian with a Y at 48minutesdogsbarking.com. Give us a call, 314 246 9766. 246 9766. That spells out to Ahoy Poo. That's right. If you'd like to spell with your telephone, support the show, patreon.com slash 48 minutes of dogs. Well, this is where we leave you with a little bit of music. Now, I wanted to play some AJJ this week, but then I realized, oh boy, I got some other stuff on the docket. There's a band called Jank. Are you familiar with these guys? I'm not. There's a band called Jank. The song's called Alligator. I'm having a good time with it. It's a great record. The album's called Versace Summer. And this is where we leave you and where I say namaste and good luck. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.